0: Hello, and welcome to Furlough, defining moments worth talking about. As always, I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, along with Steve Otterstrom. Steve, it's been a pretty quiet week around here, just counting down one week closer to the possibility of ending furlough, flipping the calendar, so pretty solid four weeks in front of me, and just waiting to hear what happens next. Oh, very good. How's your week, Ben? Well, I, I'm
1: not waiting for furlough to end. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's um, not really funny, though, is it? We, hey, if, if if you have the choice of laughing about something or crying about something, <laughs> let's laugh about there it. There you go. I'll take that <laughs> as well. Um, but yes, uh, it's, it's been a good week. I've, I've continued to do, um, kind of some, some more independent contract work, uh, uh, excited about some things that I've been, uh, working on both with, uh, upwards unlimited and, um, also, uh, been doing a little bit of work with a couple of other, uh, organizations and maybe we'll hear more about them later on, but, um, good deal. yeah, I, 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 I feel, you know, very lucky, uh, that, uh, bills are being paid and, uh, uh, it looks like we'll be able to do that for a while yet <laughs>
0: as, yeah, as you uh, uh,
1: as I move into working independently away from, uh, working for the man, I guess. Although if the man wants there to offer me a job again, um, I'm here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Any offers worth consideration. Perhaps. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, it, And just for our audience sake, I I mentioned about the end of my furlough. I want to make it perfectly clear. We have no intentions of ending the furloughed podcast, folks. So we're just talking about employment, Mm -hmm. not the podcast when we talk about that. So we we definitely want to continue the podcast, as we will do, uh, and continue to talk about change in our lives and so on. And so speaking of change, we've got our topic this week, and uh, I don't know if we will see change or not, but I guess that's what we'll be voting on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we <laughs> we decided we would talk a little bit about voting, and Steve, you want to kind of give a little intro as to why we chose this and head us off in that direction? Absolutely.
1: And just to start out, uh, we have already decided between the two of us that we're not endorsing Any candidate platform or persuasion during this particular podcast, if anybody wants to reach out to us individually and talk, hey, I'm happy to do that. But um, uh, our goal here today is to um, talk about voting from the empowerment perspective that this is an opportunity to get your voice out there. Now, I recognize that there are um, several of you that listen to us who, who are not from the United States. So, I'm going to try and and maybe give a little bit of background on how voting works here, because there are a lot of things um, about how voting happens here in the United States that is just just us. <laughs> We're the ones that do it that way. So, I want to I want to make sure that uh, that is understood. But the very first thing and the most important thing, and this is something I want to say, especially for all of those of you listening from within the United States, that voting is important. I think uh, Leonard and I have uh, both agree on that passionately, that voting is important. And that if you haven't voted in the past, or you have voted in the past, voting in this election is important. Uh, You know, I have not talked to anyone this year who has not felt like this was not an important election. Have you talked to anyone, Leonard, <laughs> who was like... No, I think we all have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no one said this yeah. election, I don't, you know, the candidates are so similar, I don't feel like I need to make make any uh, attempt to figure out what to do. Um, I think everybody, regardless of which side of the aisle you land on, agrees that voting is important. Um, and I think, in fact, w- what was the statistic, Leonard? You you said the... Of, of how many people yeah. voted in 2016, of, of eligible voters in the United States?
0: Yeah, out of eligible bo- voters. That's a hard word to say together. Uh, so we have around 138, a million, <laughs> a million, 138 million Americans that did vote. So 138 million did vote, which actually only made up just a squeak over 58% of eligible voters so out of the voting population uh, just under 60 percent so we had at least 40 percent of our population it's technically 42 percent of our population that was eligible to vote that did not vote it's not saying that they're card carrying registered voters because we do have to register to vote but those are the folks that could have voted and chose not to whether they were registered or not
1: And so if you're if you're part of that percentage and you're thinking, well, I'm going to vote this year. And and I feel like in some ways I hear people say, oh, I'm voting for this person. I'm voting for that person. And it's almost as if they didn't understand the difference between rooting for and voting for. If you just want somebody to win, you are rooting for them. You are not voting for them. If you actually register to vote and you go out and vote, then you are voting for them. And so. So. If you haven't voted before uh it can be a little bit intimidating knowing how to go about doing that especially if you like i grew up in in a family where voting was an institution that we were part of from the very beginning Mm -hmm. i saw my parents uh, on every election go out to the polling place uh, come back with their little stickers on saying that they voted um when i turned 18 that was one of the first things they helped me do was to register to vote and i you know voted in my very first election i think it was um, the Bush Gore election was my very first election that I was able to vote in. Mm. Um, and and so it was just something that I knew from the very beginning. And I feel like in a lot of ways, that's something that just gets passed down. And we have generations of people who vote. In fact, that was one of the voter suppression things that happened um, uh, after the Civil War is they'd have this grandfather clause where if your grandfather had voted, then you could vote. Um, if your grandfather hadn't voted, uh, in the past, uh, then then you had to pay a, a tax in order to vote, and that was burdensome for people. So I, I think wow. it's something that from a voter suppression. So there literally
0: was a grandfather. clause.
1: <laughs> there really was a grandfather clause. Hence, in.
0: hence the term in America, grandfathered. In. <laughs> yes, wow. yes, I did not yes. Know
1: that. that if if your grandfather had voted, you could vote without being having to pay a poll tax. Um, if your grandfather had not, yeah. then um, you're you're going to have to, you know, so. The, I think there's always been this, this knowledge that one key element of voter suppression is that it becomes a generational, it becomes a cultural thing. Um, and mm-hmm. so for some people who may come from a family that no one ever voted, it's time to start a new tradition, and that is getting out and voting. And so first off, if, if you're not certain how to vote, how to register, remember this one thing. You can forget everything we say in today's podcast, but remember this one thing, vote.gov. Type that in, vote.gov. If you go to vote.gov, one of the things that is interesting about uh, voting in the United States is that uh, in the Constitution, determining who could vote and how the vote was certified was given to each individual state. And that's why um, uh, this country that prides itself on being th- this freedom-loving country, uh, as early as as uh, when the Constitution was first ratified uh, – each individual state ended up being represented or the vote only came from a very small minority of white men uh, because most states passed laws that said that um, you had to own land uh, or you had to have a certain amount of money. Uh, You had to be white, you had to be male. And many of them also required uh, that you had to be Christian. And so um, (laughs) the, the, numbers of people who have been eligible to vote has grown over the years however there is this step of moving it into your culture of getting out and voting and so going to vote.gov is going to help you where i live in utah and the rules for how i register won't be the same as the rules for how leonard registers to vote in mississippi uh, right. this is the one place we can tell you you can go if you're in the united states where you can put in your state and it's going to take you to your state website and the place on the state website that will explain how to register to vote. And for some of you, if you have a driver's license in that state, it may be as easy as filling out an online form and you'll be registered to vote. Other states, you may have to go someplace in person or you may have to fill out a form uh, uh, that you either mail in or you deliver to your county building. Um, Either way, you need to do it today because Time is ticking. <laughs> if you, if yeah. you, if you wait too long, there may not be time for you to do the registration here in Utah, you could do same day voter registration. That's not the case necessarily in every state.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It pays to be prepared. Yes. So yeah. Get out there and make sure that you go to that site and, like Steve said, we're not endorsing any particular candidate. I don't think I've done that for years now. Just <laughs> Endorse a candidate, <laughs> but uh, anyhow, but uh, yeah. So, nonetheless, so it, it is an important thing, and we want to encourage you. So, let, let's talk a little bit more about the voting process. So, Steve, uh, and and I know you're a little bit a historian than me, and. Uh, So you talked some about how that happened. And I think within our own country, there's been a lot of confusion over it. And as some folks might be aware, the last couple of elections, uh, the last few possibly, uh, I know from uh, Bush and Gore election, the general population vote was so close and or was higher than what the actual electoral college voted and so the person that mm-hmm. was elected did not necessarily have the largest population vote. I think that happened with Gore, uh, when Bush overtook Gore in 2000, and I do think that happened when Trump overtook Hillary in the last election we had. So yeah. let's let's talk about the electoral college just a little bit, because I know... Uh, not just younger people, but for some reason, it seems younger people were a little unaware that that's the way it worked. Maybe our history classes aren't as good as they used to be. <laughs> but I know it's a good reminder to kind of walk down that road. So let, let's talk about yes. what an electoral college means, versus that popular vote, just to clarify that for yes. anyone, yes. In the United States or out of the country.
1: And and let's start out by, by dispelling one myth that I've heard periodically about the Electoral College. And I've heard this, it means my vote doesn't count. Have you heard that, Leonard? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, absolutely. After, especially when when the majority vote was a different direction than what the election outcome was.
1: Exactly, yeah. and I can understand that feeling and that sentiment. Yeah, uh, and and you're right, Leonard. Those are the two circumstances in our modern times when we we have not had the popular vote coincide with the electoral college vote. So. Um, I think it was about two and a half million votes. That was what was unique about, uh, the 2016 election. It was, it was a very large margin in the past. It's happened where, um, like with the, the core, uh, the Gore Bush election, um, or Bush Gore, cause I guess Bush won that one, <laughs> um, where it was, it was extremely close. Um, mm-hmm. Gore, did end up having more popular votes, um, in the end, but it was still a very close one Uh, with with uh, Clinton and um, Trump. You're looking at about two and a half million votes difference, which is a rather large difference in 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 uh, popular votes and yet still uh, Donald Trump won the election uh, because of the Electoral College. So let's talk about the Electoral College and why I can still say your vote counts, even though In that circumstance, someone might say my vote didn't count because we voted for somebody else. Real
0: quick, too. Yeah, Yeah. and real quick, too, Steve, you know, going back to Bush and Gore and that particular one, uh, folks might remember or may not even know that one even went to the Supreme Court. It was challenged about recounting the votes in Florida, and it Mm -hmm. was determined because the electoral college votes that, that doing the individual recount and dragging it on for uh, weeks and weeks was not going to resolve, and so the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the vote. So it, it was about yeah. two or three days there. We didn't know for certain who our president was. Well, and let and me just so that was certainly unique.
1: I, I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm remembering this correctly because I think uh, what made that unique is a constitutional provision that requires by and I'm now I'm trying to speak from memory, but by a specific date. Um, there, there is a specific date mm. that's mentioned when the electoral college has to convene and has to to vote. And um, the Supreme Court specifically was saying that they did not believe that um, this complete redo or this it wasn't redo of the election, but of recount um, on these you know looking at these higher standards to try and determine you know um, when some of us, of us remember hanging chads and dipole chads and things like that. Yes. Um, whether or not. Th- th- they didn't believe that could be reviewed in enough time to meet the constitutional mandate uh, for when the electoral college would meet, and so they said, "You uh, know, Florida, you're going to have to go ahead and certify uh, that election and uh, <laughs> and send it off." Now, um, I'm kind of pulling that a little bit from memory. It's something that I remember looking at to more detail a while back, but um, uh, uh, it, it goes into some of these constitutional mandates that are very difficult to get passed uh, because they're the core law of of the united states so um we have um during the constitutional convention um uh they're trying to figure out you know how we're going to run voting and i think one of the things that is just unique to american culture is uh we didn't trust each other very much at that point big states didn't uh, trust little states Uh, And little states didn't trust that big states would help take care of them. And we talk about states right now in the United States, we see that more as kind of like other countries might consider districts. But truly, um, each state has its own independent sovereign government uh, that, according to the Constitution, um, reserves all rights that are not enumerated specifically in the Constitution. So uh, the Constitution is a relatively small piece of paper and everything else goes off to the states. Uh, So the states having all of this power and authority, one of the things that they did um, in the Constitution is they gave um, or or, or when they were deciding how they're going to choose the executive branch or the president is um, that the actual election would be done by electors and the number of electors who would come from each state would be based off of population. So that's why you can look at your election map and you can see that California has 55 votes. I think Utah has five votes. Do you know how many Mississippi has?
0: No, I don't. Okay. Some votes. (laughs) Mississippi has some votes. Seven maybe? I don't know.
1: And, um, And then it was up to the states to send electors. And in the early days of this, those electors didn't have any obligation to vote in line with the popular vote. They could just go completely rogue. And in fact, up until earlier this year, that was still undecided. Um, A recent Supreme Court case came back saying if states mandate that these, uh, which most states do, there might be some that don't, I, I don't know, but most states require that the electors that go and actually do the election Uh, I believe in December, that they have to vote whatever that state has sent them to go vote for. So, for example, in Utah, all five votes would go uh, for whoever the majority of Utahns voted for. In some states, it's divided. I think what Maine is one of those, Nebraska is one of those where they will take a portion of, you know, if if 80 percent, vote for one candidate and 80 percent of the electoral votes will go for that individual. One of the reasons why people um, argue for this to continue is because it does give some balance between smaller states. Because all of their votes will go as a block against larger states. Um, Mm -hmm. Other people use that argument to say that it uh, (laughs) that it shouldn't be that way, that it should just be a strict popular vote. But your vote will have to do with whether or not the votes from your state end up going to be you know, those electoral votes that actually count. Now, sometimes if you're come from a deep red or a deep blue state, uh, there's a feeling like, well, my vote won't count anyways, because my state is going to be red or my state is going to be blue. Let me just remind any of you and we say red and blue, <laughs> red means <laughs> Republican, blue means Democrat. Let me remind you what <laughs> the statistic Leonard shared with us, that we have. Roughly 40% of eligible voters are not voting. So any state becomes eligible to flip and become either a red or a blue state if you get out and register to vote and you vote again, vote.gov if you're uncertain of how to do that. Any state becomes in play if you go out and register to vote and go vote, because most of us or I, I can't say most of us, a very small majority of us, are voting. There's a very large minority of people in the United States who are eligible to vote who are not voting. Mm-hmm. Leonard, any thoughts on what I was just talking I kind of got long-winded and I'm not even sure I answered to what you asked me to talk about.
0: <laughs> no, I think you kind of covered it there, but you're totally right as far as the fact of uh, people need to be registered and get out there and vote. Uh, I know I have heard it especially when I was younger I heard it oh I don't want to register to vote because I don't want to serve on jury duty and different things like that and it's you know it's just kind of silly number one <laughs> <laughs> jury I, I duty thought it will find great. you regardless <laughs> <laughs> yeah they will if you if you drive or pay your utility bill or do anything in this country they'll find you have a social security number probably they'll find you um uh, but I uh, honestly I thought serving on jury duty was great anyhow um uh, More importantly, though, is that, you know, we call it our civic duty. And like Steve, I grew up in a family where, yeah, we voted every time we were eligible to vote and took it as a serious thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, my first memory of voting really kind of was in, uh, give my age away, although it's not a big secret, but uh, 1976, uh, Jimmy Carter versus Gerald Ford. And so we had an election in junior high and we got to vote and poll each other and who wanted who to win and all that kind of fun stuff and so that was my first fun election of course our votes didn't count uh but we did certainly campaign and do all the fun stuff and saw which team won based on what happened with the adults uh but my first real election was uh, actually in 1980 which is ronald reagan Mm -hmm. and so uh at the time, certainly a big Ronald Reagan fan, as many, many, many people were, despite what party they might have been on, uh, as he won by quite a landslide. I was going to say, yeah, uh, you so weren't, you weren't of, alone. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a fun election to be a part of. Uh, I believe he was running against Mondale uh, and Fierro at the time. And uh, so I think that's the election uh, where they were running against him. So anyhow, but it was it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. I, I, I usually have ended up voting for whoever lost. (laughs) I've definitely voted on both sides of the, of the aisle. Um, Yes, and, and I think that's something too, that I, I, I think is interesting or important to note, uh, when we talk about voting and this is something that is also kind of really unique to the American way of doing it. I mean, parties exist around the world. Um, political parties, but we basically have two parties in the United States. There are more mm-hmm. s- technically, but the Constitution is set up so that if you don't get a majority of votes, then it goes to the Senate to decide who the president is. And and they could just they could choose anybody they wanted at that point once it goes to the Senate. Uh, so really, for a third party to come in, it would end up creating a scenario if it was a, a legitimate third party that took a significant number of votes, we would probably not be choosing our um, president anymore. Our president would be picked by the Senate, um, and it is a little unique way in the way the Senate would would choose. I, th- I think some people might be going, well, but the Senate right now is is Republican, so would it just be Republicans from then on out? Well, the Senate would choose, but they would have one vote per, per state. So, um, however, that would. Would play out, and then if they couldn't choose, if the Senate could not seat a president, then it's just going to go to the Speaker of the House. Uh, so in that case, it would be Nancy Pelosi that would be our president. So uh, there's there's all kinds of contingencies in place uh, to determine um, who who would get it. But I guess the point I was trying to make with this is that we have a two party system, and the Constitution yeah. really doesn't make room for a third party to work its way into that. In fact, when we have seen a third party come in, and I think the most recent time that the third party became a major party was the Republican Party, and that was with mm-hmm. Lincoln. And when that happened, the Whigs disappeared. And, yes. um, and, and, and if, if there were to be another third party, it probably would be the same type of situation where it would just overtake one of the two parties that are currently in place. Yeah, you know, were...
0: yeah, and I don't, I don't think a lot of Americans are aware that it has not always been the Democratic and Republican Party, and so I'm glad you, glad you hit on that, Steve, because it is a possibility; it can change, and I, I guess the reason I see that as being significant is I feel as though, uh, at least the circle I'm in, I'll say it that way, there are a number of folks that really fall in between the parties. Uh, I know there are folks that you know we seem to be more focused on party than we are the person in history Mm -hmm. today at least it feels that way to me uh where the party platform is king and it's not so much the individual that matters it's the platform that matters Uh, whereas i think in my childhood at least my memory of it it was the fact that it was more the person than the platform that mattered Uh, but nonetheless where i was going with this a number of us sort of fall in between the cracks where neither party is necessarily winning our loyalty. Uh, There's certainly things on both sides of the aisle, as you say, Steve, that I agree with and certainly in favor of. But there's not one party that just summarizes Leonard Cochran as a person and has my loyalty. And so there's so many decisions that fall in between where I might vote, uh, environmentally, one party. I might vote uh, from a ethics, uh, religious perspective. I might lean towards one party. Uh, for other causes, I might lean to another party. And so, there's a lot of us, I think, that kind of fall in those gray areas that neither party particularly addresses to meet our needs. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I, I'm. It's my hope during this interesting season of history where everybody wants to be so polarized, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that eventually something else will emerge yeah. that kind of meets the needs of us more common folk. Well, and it's
1: interesting because when you look at these at the parties, what they really are is they're corporations. I, I, and, and, and I'm not even meaning that from like a, a perspective of like, um, they're like corporations. I mean, that, that they're they're not government agencies. When you donate to a party, it's not even tax exempt because it's not a charitable donation. You know, hmm. these organizations have one thing that they're trying to do, and that's they're trying to elect their hero. And so, um, it, it is interesting to me when I see um, this this adherence to a party is almost as strong as someone might adhere to a religion, it mm. seems really abstract to me because in the end, there is more loyalty that they give to their party than their party would ever give to them.
0: Yes. Their goal is to well, elect it,
1: their hero and that's it. And I think even that goes into one of the confusions that I think happens is understanding that we're moving into a general election. You can vote for whoever you want. You can vote on either ticket. However, when we were in our primary elections, in order to vote in one of those, depending on where you're at, you may have had to declare a party affiliation in order to vote in that primary election. Right. And I generally have always been unaffiliated is how I've had that set up. But I, I um, wanted to vote in, in the primary election uh, because I felt I wanted to have a choice in who was on the ticket. <laughs> Um, And so I actually needed to go in and change my affiliation. And you can do this. You can do this between elections. You can change your affiliation so you can vote in whichever primary. If you're actually voting for the person, oftentimes that means shifting your allegiance (laughs) on multiple occasions so that you can actually have a voice in that primary. Because uh, what I think ends up happening is we get the more radical elements of either party because they have to go through the primary. And in the primary, only people, oftentimes it depends on where you're at. And, you know, so I'm not trying to make a general rule, but oftentimes only people who are members of that party can be part of that primary election or caucus. And right. so that encourages really the, the more right or left extreme voices to be heard because they will never consider someone on the other side. And people who are a little more moderate who don't want to say i'm this party or this party get left out of that process so if you really want to be you know someone who votes you might have to also be uh comfortable switching your party back and forth as well
0: well and really too what that does steve i mean let's be honest it's inconvenient right mm-hmm. so now not only are we going for the major election but now we have to go to the primary Mm -hmm. and then we may well have local election as well so it it does from a voting you know from an individual voter perspective you're you're at the polls a lot more if you if you do get taken up in doing all that which is definitely something uh worth doing well and if you're a new voter you know it it suppresses you
1: you because like for example i remember um this was uh, when in the McCain, um, it, it was it was uh, McCain was, was ran against Obama, but it was this was the primary, yes. so it would have been um, I think Hillary and Obama that were on one ticket, and then McCain and somebody else on the Republican
0: yes. ticket. Um, and also ran.
1: Yeah, and in that circumstance, um, the candidate I wanted. Uh, to vote for was on the Democratic ticket, but I had been registered as a Republican. And uh, because I had always voted Republican up until that point, uh, it hadn't dawned on me that if I wanted the other ticket, I needed to change my allegiance first. (laughs) And so when I Mm -hmm. went in to get a ticket, I said, I want to vote on the, I want to vote on, I want a a Democrat ticket. (laughs) And they said, no, you can't do that. And so in the end, I didn't get to get my voice out the way I wanted to because I just didn't understand the system well enough, which is another reason why we want you to go to vote.gov, look at your state site. And start figuring those things out. I mean, number one, get registered to vote. This next election, you don't need to understand whether you are um, registered as a Republican or a Democrat or, or happy party, or birthday party. What was the Kanye West one, the birthday party, happy birthday party? <laughs>
0: uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but you don't have to know Late that. To the party, I believe it was. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> For this particular election. Is it OK yeah. if we say that the one candidate we're not endorsing is Kanye West? Uh, uh, no,
0: uh, no, we won't even go that far making that statement. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, maybe I will endorse him. I
1: I haven't looked at him close enough. (laughs) Um, is he still running? (laughs) I don't think his name's going to be on any of the ballots, but, um, but the point is you don't need to know that for this one, for the upcoming election. This is a general election. It's not a partisan election. You don't have to uh, name yourself as part of any party in order to vote, but please do go on vote.gov. Um, if you haven't voted before and, and begin getting registered and things as well. I, I think also, you know, how to vote and the day of that's sometimes confusing from the perspective of do you need ID? Do you, um, you know, do you know where to go? Because you can't just go to any polling place. You've got to go to your polling place. Do I get something in the mail? Do I, you know, how do you navigate that?
0: Yeah, and in my state, Mississippi, we have a handy-dandy voting card, and it gives Mm -hmm. the address as to where we vote on there. And so, just for example, um, since the last election, I'm trying to remember now, but anyhow, during my my time in this current resident where I'm at now, uh, because I have moved in the last 10 years, Uh, They changed the polling place during the time that I've been here. And so they tracked me down through voter registration card and sent me a new card if my memory serves me right. But as I'm thinking over it, it's been a minute since that happened. Uh, But nonetheless, it does have the polling place on there, uh, at least in Mississippi. So it's pretty clear for us. And I know we are not required to have that card to vote. Uh, they they do have a log but we have to have some proof of who we are when we go vote and so that's the easiest form since you got the doggone thing why would you carry something else Uh, but that's the easiest thing Mm -hmm. and naturally i always carry my wallet anyhow so i'm going to have a driver's license but i recognize some folks just have state ids and whatnot Uh, but that's easy enough in mississippi anyhow for us
1: yeah and actually i I looked at mississippi's this morning (laughs) just because i was looking at yours and i looked at mine and um yeah, Mississippi is one that does require a photo ID and not just any photo ID will work. They have a list of the photo IDs um, that that are that are eligible um, or this free voter ID card that you can use. So um, here in Utah, that's not a requirement. And, and here in Utah, we actually have universal um, mail-in voting. So I know that in my uh, mailbox, I'm going to get a ballot. Uh probably about a month before the election. And then I know that there are people that are concerned about that ballot. Is, if I put it in the mail, will the mailman steal it, you know? <laughs> um, it's, th-
0: it's the kids down the block that I'm worried about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if I go to vote.gov, which in turn will take me to my state site, it will show me all my options I have with that ballot. For example, there are places I can take that ballot and just drop it off in person into a box that's sealed uh, and, and won't be um, opened until election day. So there, there, again, it's would be so difficult for us to be able to tell all of you the best way to do this. The key is to go to (laughs) vote.gov. How many times have we said that? I hope everybody knows vote.gov, go to vote.gov, make sure that you're registered. Maybe you moved, you've you voted in the past and you've moved, Go to vote.gov. <laughs> um, even if you're within the same um, area, it may be that you've changed polling places. And so if you try to go vote, you may not be able to vote um, if you haven't verified that. Another thing that has happened over the years, and in fact, this is uh, goes into our, our history um, as a country of uh, a history of actually. Really suppressing the vote. I mean, it's, it, and, and I'm not trying to say that from a political perspective, it's just the reality. You know, we started out by only allowing a very select group of people that we deemed worthy um, of being able to vote. And then in time, you know, we slowly expanded that out. I mean, it took after the Civil War and the 15th Amendment in 1870, when we allowed um, individuals um, of color to vote. <laughs> Uh, and you know, the interesting thing about that when the 15th amendment was ratified, giving um freed slaves male free slaves, remember, women were not mm-hmm. allowed to vote yet. That was like not until uh the early 1900s, I believe, when that happened, was it 1911, something somewhere in there, early 1900s with the 19th amendment, anyways, uh, that women were even allowed to vote, but um, only uh, male freed slaves. But that same year. It was also made illegal for anyone of Chinese or Asian descent to vote. So, mm. uh, you know, we, we really hadn't made this big move forward in saying racial equality, we're going to allow everyone to vote at this point, you know. Um, but even after that. The Jim Crow laws, poll taxes, reading tests, uh, and if you ever want to uh, feel like a complete idiot, there's plenty of them online. Go online and see if you can pass a reading test.
0: There, there's, oh, I thought you were going to say there's plenty of idiots online.
1: <laughs> there are plenty, I'm, and I'm one of them. But go online but, and see if you can pass one of those reading tests. And I'll tell you, based off of most of those tests, you would be considered illiterate. Um, mm. But the reason why they they worked for what they were trying to do with voter suppression is a person at the polls had the ability to decide who they were going to give the test to. And in many places, if you could prove that you had up to a fifth grade education, then you didn't have to take the test. Um, And and even from that perspective, um, some people would get an easy question. Some people would have to take the whole test. Uh, So through those items, really, it wasn't until, was it um, 1965 that the... um, Congress passed a law requiring everyone to vote. <laughs> and in that law, they required that states that historically had tried to keep people of color from voting, that they had to have their plans uh, pre-approved by Congress. Mm. Well, in 19, oh, when was it? Um, <laughs> it was, no, 19, not not 19 anything. 2013, Shelby County versus Holder, the U.S. Supreme Court, essentially overthrew that portion of the law. So it gave states the ability to begin their own voter suppression without having oversight from Congress. And so we've actually seen a resurgence of things such as Uh, purging voter registration where they go through. And in some cases, this may be legitimate. In other cases, it's highly dubious what's trying to be done with it, where they go through and remove people from voter uh, registration lists that they believe have been inactive. So this is another reason why you need to go to uh, vote.gov and make sure that you are actually registered to vote. This wouldn't be something that you would want to figure out if you haven't voted in a few years. There is a possibility that you are no longer registered to vote thanks to Shelby Mm -hmm. County versus Holder. (laughs) There is a real possibility. You may not be registered to vote anymore and you need to look into that or else come election day when it's too late, you won't have an opportunity. Although you may still be able to vote provisionally. I want to throw that out. Um, If any of you ever do find that you're sitting there uh, at the polling place and they are not allowing you to vote, ask for a provisional ballot because it, it, um, it, it will mean that if your vote is necessary, they will at that point determine if you're eligible to vote and uh, then count your vote. So provisional ballot would be your last result, uh, uh, resort at that, at that juncture, I guess. Hmm.
0: I've not heard of a provisional ballot before, I don't think.
1: And generally so. you wouldn't need one. Uh, but you know, if, if, for example, maybe you show up without your ID, generally speaking, you can, you can put a provisional ballot in. Um, yeah, sure. And, and it's, it's counted different. It's kind of put off to the side. And then if, if it gets really close and that ballot might potentially make a difference, well then at that point, they're going to investigate whether or not you were actually eligible to vote. And if you were, then your, your ballot will, will be counted. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that, hopefully. That's like a Bush Gore nightmare again, you know, where we're looking at a few hundred individuals in a, in a, in a county that could have changed um, the the course of our country, really. I mean, I, I, I'm not endorsing one way or the other, but I think uh, both of them had a different uh, different enough versions of how they wanted to govern that we would be in a different situation, <laughs> um, for better or worse at this point, uh, had a yeah. few more people in those counties, uh, voted one way or the other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the incredible thing about voting. You know, you, you talk about the individual vote and, and certainly after the last election in particular, but I, I, again, it's happened a couple of times in history, you know, those individual voters felt slighted by the fact that it was the uh, 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 that that it wasn't the popular vote that mattered, and mm-hmm. just so much misunderstanding on that. But in the end, it is those individual votes that do add up to matter. Mm-hmm. Despite one individual vote might not make or break the whole thing, uh, but collectively they do, and that's the important thing to remember.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause if Florida, <laughs> Florida seems to always be, you know, that's one of the biggest swing States, you know, it has a lot of votes. I think it's like 27 electoral votes that come out of Florida. And I think they're in that, what was it? I can't remember the County. Was it Dade County or am I just thinking of something else? But if they, it, I don't know which County, if there had been a little higher voter turnout, um, it would have either been more certain that Bush won or it could have, completely flipped the entire election, one small little county, you know, making the difference. Um, and you know, if you don't like the electoral college, it's not that it's not changeable, but right now what ends up (sighs) happening is that we complain about the electoral college. I mean, we saw this in the 2016 election. Um, I think Trump was staunchly against the electoral college and uh, felt like it rigged the system against him. And he said so over and over. However, now he has benefited from it and we're not hearing the same rhetoric. And that is the same thing that has happened in every circumstance. It's the same thing happened with George Bush. I remember there was a, it, it appeared that there was a possibility that he would win the popular and Gore would win the other. And he actually said that he would, if that happened, petition the electoral college to honor the will of the people. And of course, once he benefited from it, he wasn't interested in petitioning the electoral college um, to uh, put Gore into place over him. But this is where it comes into, if, if it's something you don't like, well, still go out and vote. But then the next thing is, you need to petition your representatives to begin the process of changing it. You know, it would require a constitutional mm-hmm. amendment. We haven't had one for quite a while, um, but I think one of the most recent constitutional amendments had to do with voting. It was the twenty uh, sixth amendment in 1971. And that's what gave uh, people 18 and up the right to vote. Prior to that, you had to be twenty one, you know, so um, We, we, it's hard to do um, a constitutional amendment, but uh, our most recent ones have been many of them either about ending uh, prohibition (laughs) or starting prohibition and then ending it, or it's been about voting. So um, it it, it could happen, but it won't happen if you don't vote in the people who have the same perspective that you have, that it should change. And then they decide that, now that they benefited from it, that they don't want to keep it.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, Steve, I think we've covered voting. Uh, it's about that time to kind of wrap up our session. So any, any last thoughts you kind of want to give before we wrap things up, since you're the historian and have helped us so much here?
1: Well, I think um, the most important thing, of course, is what I've said over and over, and that is vote.gov. <laughs> that if you if you haven't voted or you haven't voted in a while, this is the time to do it. Go to vote.gov. And, and just to guilt you a little bit into voting, just a reminder that this is not something that people have always been allowed to do. The early in our country's history, it was a very small portion of privileged white males who were allowed to vote over time. And after um, a horrible civil war, it extended to um, people of color, but only for a short period of time before, um, unfortunately, Jim Crow laws and things creeped in to make it so they couldn't vote again. Um, It wasn't, you know, for women, (laughs) it wasn't till 1920 that they could vote. You know, it used to be that you at 18 could be sent off to um, die and to kill for your country, (laughs) but you didn't have a say. And it wasn't till that changed with the changed with the 26th Amendment, you know, that This isn't something that we should take for granted. And more than ever, we need your opinion. We need your voice out there. We need you to vote. No excuses. If you can breathe, go out and vote. If you have children who have not had an opportunity to vote yet, go to vote.gov and help them learn how to register and how to get out there and vote. If you have a neighbor, if you've got somebody who who um, could use your help, This is the best resource you can give them is vote.gov. Do I need to spell it? (laughs) V-O-T-E dot G-O-V, just in case. Just in case. Uh, Just in case. Not .com, not anything else, just vote.gov. And uh, please, if you have any questions, concerns, or you've got something you'd like to add to this conversation, we'd love to hear from you as well.
0: Absolutely. And that email address, of course, is furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. Give us a shout. and Let us know your thoughts, concerns, questions, anything that you have. And we will certainly be glad to respond to you there. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up for the day. So thanks again for being a part of our furloughed journey. And we just want to encourage you, as Steve said, to get out there and vote. With that, we'll say Goodbye until next week. And once again, quick shout out to our sponsor, Upwards Unlimited. Upwards, W-O-R-D-S, unlimited.com. Until next time. Bye-bye.